During this episode, we sit down with Dr. Clark Chang, Director of Global Medical Affairs at Glaucos, a pioneer in microinvasive glaucoma surgeries. Motivated by enriching patients' lives, Dr. Chang brings a clinician's perspective to advancing care for chronic eye diseases like keratoconus. While together, Dr. Chang shares insights into Glaucos's corneal cross-linking procedure, iLink, which halts disease progression and how this strengthens the cornea, allowing for visual optimization with specialty lenses. We also discuss the overwhelmingly positive patient feedback in Glaucos's mission of developing novel therapies. Tune in as Dr. Chang outlines key priorities like improving diagnosis and education to ensure patients receive timely, effective treatment. Join us to gain inspiration from his dedication to elevating patients' quality of life through persistence and collaboration. Let's go. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Hi, Dr. Chang. A big welcome to our podcast today. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, due to your expertise and passion of teaching others the importance of maintaining healthy vision and how to spot the signs and symptoms of dangerous eye conditions like keratoconus, I'm looking forward to this enlightening and important conversation today. But before we dive in, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Clark, it's almost time for our community to learn how you and the Glaucos team are pioneering new treatments for chronic eye disease. But first, what's that one piece of advice that you would give to others who are passionate about reimagining the health of our world? Well, Mike, let me just say how impressed I am with the fact that you can say the word keratoconus because you're, you'll be surprised at how many people cannot. <laughs> I practiced quite a bit before we logged on for this recording today. Good job. You get an A+. So my one piece of advice off the top of my head, I would say to those people out there who are researchers in mind to make sure that you... Uh, Move upstream with persistence to find your solution or solutions, and don't forget to evolve along the way. And I imagine that sounds pretty cliche. Should I maybe explain what I mean by that? Oh, absolutely. You can explain as much as you want. This is your episode today, Clark. Take it where you want to, my friend. Sure. Oh, thank you for that. And so by that, I mean that we tend to target the in healthcare, at least. The more direct symptoms that sort of that we encounter that's right in front of us, again, that's whether in medicine or other aspects of life, so that in terms of talking about the care for our keratoconus patient group, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means a little bit later, but you know, patients typically come to eye care providers complaining of their frequent prescription changes and blur vision you know, uncorrected or uncorrectable by glasses or conventional contact lenses, very bothersome 
you know, ghosting, double vision, light sensitivity, halo glare that prevents them from being able to even go outside at times. So what do we usually do? We typically just focus on treating their vision since they're complaining about their vision. Let's try the best we can to sort of turn back the clock and restore their vision. You know, that that works fine for maybe some of the patients and, and certainly not all of them. And so what we really weren't able to do or haven't done prior to some of the work that Glockos has started is that, you know, didn't go up with that. Most people did not go upstream. Like they didn't try to get close to the root of the problem. They were treating what's right in front of them. And so, you know, the second part of what I meant about being, you know, evolve along the way is that obviously patients need or needs will change over time. And so we also need to constantly, you know, assess the available medical resources and technologies and to remind ourselves not to become overly complacent with, you know, a relatively new treatment option that is now becoming the standard. So in other words, we need to perform that, you know, reality check from time to time to make sure that should we, do we need to continue to move upstream and get closer to the origin of the issue at hand? I absolutely love it. And you're spot on, Clark, because uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate. I uh, mentor and advise quite a bit of startup founders and entrepreneurs and leaders like yourself at innovative companies. And I love how you mentioned making sure that you evolve along the way, especially in healthcare, given how complex it is. We cannot become married to a perceived solution because we want to see that solution succeed because we believe in it so much, right? At the end of the day, let's just call it what it is and be frank. Our opinions and our thoughts of a end solution, frankly, don't matter. It's what the marketplace needs. It's what the consumer needs, right? It doesn't matter what we think or what we want. We have to go and solve for a problem in the marketplace. So I'd love how you frame that up about evolving along the way. Thank you. You're putting my ego in check. <laughs> well, we all need it because uh, you know as well as I do, as I love to say, the longer I'm in healthcare, the less I know. It is complex and it keeps you on your toes. Yeah, it keeps you on your toes every step of the way. And we're going to talk about keeping it on your toes, evolving, being innovative, getting close to the consumer and customer. You guys are doing that and much more in your guys' company, Glockos. I cannot wait to unpack all of that and much more after we get back from thanking our Community Champion sponsor. Located in Denver, Colorado's nationally ranked River North District, Catalyst is a healthcare innovation campus that brings together stakeholders from across the industry to accelerate innovation and drive real, lasting change our nation desperately needs. From established organizations to startups, from accelerators to advocacy organizations, and from medical schools to global companies, everyone at Catalyst works side-by-side to create, develop, refine, and bring to market cutting-edge innovations that will fundamentally transform healthcare as we know it. With industry leaders like Medical Group Management Association, Olive, Medical Solutions, UC Health, Cirrus MD, and many others calling Catalyst home, along with innovative pioneers visiting from across the nation, Catalyst continually fosters their foundational belief that collaboration and partnerships will move the healthcare industry forward. To virtually tour Catalyst and claim your space on campus or host an upcoming event, visit CatalystHealthTech.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Dr. Clark Chang, Director of Global Medical Affairs at Glaucos. Dr. Chang, thank you again for being with us. I love how you framed it up on the front end. We must evolve as we continue to think about innovating in healthcare. I know it's been a long journey for you and the Glaucos team. 
You've been there now for almost three years. We're gonna talk about your journey with them in one fashion or another has been actually longer than that. Can't wait to hear a little bit of that journey and then how you kind of stepped into this very important role at Glockos. And then of course, we're gonna talk current state. How are things going within the Glockos camp? What are you guys up to? What's the good trouble you guys are causing, as I'd like to say? And then of course, we wanna really look future state as well. Pull the crystal ball off the shelf for a bit. Talk about what do you see on the horizon that we need to be mindful of and where are things heading in this space? that we can all learn from you about. And then of course, how we can help you. But for now, Clark, we wanna take it. Give us a little bit of that journey. Like I said, I know you've been there for about almost three years, but the journey is much longer than that. Take us behind the scenes. How did it ramp up to you becoming the Director of Global Medical Affairs at Glockos? Yeah, no, absolutely. Those are all some you know, very good questions, Mike. I mean, they never stop talking. And I appreciate the background here or the, uh, for, and your, to get your listeners to get to know a little bit about me. So, so let's get that started. And you tell me if we're getting too messy into the weeds. So, you know, I've always had, at some point in my, you know, formative years, I was, you know, become very interested in vision sciences because after all, our interaction with our environment is what shapes us. And how it also dictates how we reply or respond with to, to our surroundings. And a vision, it is well known that vision mediates about 80 to 85% of that process. And so that's what got me into really interested in visual sciences. And knowing that I wanted to be part of the healthcare force, I started working in different clinical settings prior to choosing a path to sort of, you know, try to home myself into where I want to be. And that ended up being optometry because I see the positive impact uh, while I was working. I see the positive impacts of maintaining patients' visual health with regular exams that they were getting. And so after that, I took a rather unconventional path. And that is, you know, when I finished my, you know, residency training, majority of my peers may not even, you know, decide on doing a residency to kind of hone in their clinical skills. I really wanted to do that. After I did that in to specialize in ocular disease uh, at the primary care level, I also at the same time had undergone a master degree program in low vision rehabilitation, thinking that I'm, you know, setting myself up to uh, work with patients who suffer from significant visual function losses, such as the, you know, patients with macular degenerations and other eye diseases. And after I finished the training, I thought, you know, I would love to do more. I wanted to then subspecialize in the area of cornea and contact lenses, and that's where keratoconus comes in. And again, like I said, an extremely low number of my peers would actually even consider doing a clinical fellowship, but I feel it was very important to me if I was going to become the best doctor for my patients. And so that's what I did. And little did I know when I started my clinical fellowship under the tutelage of Dr. Peter Hirsch and Dr. Donald Hirsch. They were one of the first multi-center study groups looking at this procedure called corneal cross-linking in U.S. Mind you, that's to that back in 2008, and we were already a decade behind Europe, who started, you know, a little bit in about the late 1990s. So, sort of keeping in mind that's the state, that's the landscape in U.S. at that time. 
So I was never taught what corneal cross-linking is, even though I was, you know, freshly coming out of my training. And that became a little bit of the problem the early years during my fellowship. And that is as I was, you know, getting invitations to in different scientific conferences to present our work and our findings at that time, which was affiliated with uh, the study was uh, sponsored by a company called Avidro at that time. So as I was getting to present our group's finding, I actually incurred a lot of criticism and doubt. And that is because it's such a new procedure. Most people have not heard of what that is. They have not really seen the long-term outcome at that time. And so some of the criticism that I uh, often receive when I am, you know, on stage presenting in conferences is that these are too theoretical. The work is too theoretical. It's not translatable to real clinical care. And therefore, most of the keratoconus patients will not ever benefit from the research that we were doing. And so again, I'm glad that persistence, we took our own advice of being persistent and continue with other investigators in the same group and were able to eventually be able to generate data to uh, obtain FDA approval on this treatment called corneal cross-linking and now trait named by Glaucos iLink, and which basically aims to stabilize the weak cornea. That's what happens to these keratoconus patients. And so just to kind of explain a little bit of the impact of the disease, we talked about the symptom already, but what does weakness of a tissue has to do with it? So our optical system is actually regulated by the shape and the focusing power of the eye predominantly comes from our cornea, which is the clear dome-shaped tissue in front of our eye situated basically the front outermost covering of your eye, if you think of it that way. And the shape, very much like a magnifier lens, the shape of the tissue governs how the light path is focused in the back of the eye where your photoreceptors is situated in your retina. And as the tissue gets weaker and unable to obtain its own shape, the visual information contained in these light rays coming towards the eye after it passes through your transparent cornea can no longer be focused, and therefore you lose the ability to, or one would lose the ability to see an image clearly. And in fact, not only is, that may sound like not such a big deal, However, as I learned in my low vision training, when family and friends actually go through visual simulation of what a disease feels like to people who take their vision for granted, they would very quickly change their mind. So what happened when the light rays are not being focused and in fact being very, becoming very disorganized, you start seeing halo glare light sensitivity that can be very bothersome for people to drive or to even go out of their house. And you're constantly living in a fog-like environment where nothing's in perfect focus, which can actually affect the energy expenditure that one is trying to, or your visual cortex in your brain is trying to process these visual information, which creates a lot of what we call visual confusion. And that can bring about headaches and, you know, beyond just the impact to your vision. And so those are some of the things that comes from the fact that your cornea cannot maintain its own shape and, and is progressively getting weaker. And what eye link can do or corneal cross-linking can do is 
confer mechanical strength or、uh, make your basically make your cornea stronger to be able to maintain its current shape. So a lot there, and that's an amazing journey along the way, Clark. Before we dive in a little bit more on who exactly Glacos is, and, and we you know teed it up at the front end and talking about how you guys are really getting after solving chronic eye disease. Of course, in and of itself, that's a big term. We'll go and unpack that a bit more here in just a moment. But of course, Clark, I got to ask: here you are going through all of this very intense and specialized training to become a you know, world class physician to take care of your patients as you as best you could, as you mentioned earlier. Did you have it on your roadmap? To become a director of global medical affairs at a company like this, above and beyond taking care of patients directly. Oh no, that's such a great question. No, the the short answer is no. That was never on my to do list or my roadmap. I thought that by the time that I finished my fellowship training, I would completely transition back to full time clinical care because the interaction with my patients and the Rewarding feeling that I get from being able to help my patients is what I thought I, you know, wanted to have for the rest of my life or as long as I can. So it was a surprise to me that I've taken this, like I said, unconventional path towards becoming the director of the global medical affairs at Glacos. And so what happened is that you know, remember the company that I said, Avidro, who were responsible in sponsoring. The multi-center prospective study, the randomized prospective studies that we were talking about, and eventually take it to obtain FDA approval in 2016. Glaco subsequently acquired Avidro, and somewhere along the line after that, I was contacted、uh, due to my familiarity with the research and something else they liked about me, and <laughs> asked me to join the team. And I was very happy to join Medical Affair because now I think. Instead of being able to take care, which I still have clinical days, but in terms of just being one on one with、uh, taking care of each patient, which is still very important to me, I now get to help other investigators and other eye doctors to take care of even more patients through you know collaboration with them. So it's a surprise that I, I never thought that I would be this committed to being involved in research activity, but here I am. Well, I absolutely. This is one of the reasons why we do the podcast because I love hanging out with unconventional leaders in healthcare that are always trying to push the envelope and push the ball down the field, if you will, and moving health and wellness down, you know, further and advancing the cause. So I absolutely love it, and I applaud you, my friend. So let's pretend. Let's talk about Glaucos now. Let's pretend we're going down one flight on an escalator. We have about thirty seconds. This is always fun. Have about thirty seconds with each other. You have thirty seconds to share. Who is Glacos? Go. Ah, okay. Thirty seconds. I feel like I need to call a friend. <laughs> Let's say Glacos is an ophthalmic medical technology and pharmaceutical company. So because we have, we're you know involved in improving,、uh, we're coming up with treatment options for different eye diseases. So part of that is medical device, and part of it is you know pharmaceutical compounds. But basically, with the mission and goal to develop novel therapies that advance existing standard of care, as I've sort of described a little bit about how Eyelink came about, right? That's advancing the existing standard of care, and in order to enrich the you know the life of patients or worldwide. And Glacos, we talked a little bit about Vidro and how crosslinking got approved and became Eyelink after going under Glacos. 
I want to say that Glaucos also first developed a microinvasive glaucoma surgical device called iStent. And uh, back in 2012, and again, you know, glaucoma is another one of those diseases that impact a lot of our general population. So uh, that's sort of in a nutshell what Glaucos is. It's about innovation. It's about elevating the quality of life for our patients. Well done, my friend. That was a heck of an escalator ride. Thank you. It's <laughs> <laughs> exciting. Now, you talked about, obviously, again, shared earlier, working tirelessly as an organization to solve these chronic eye diseases. And one of the areas of focus you mentioned, keratoconus is one of those, one of those big areas that you, you're working on. How has this work directly impacted the patient, right? We also talked about this on the very front end. It doesn't matter what we think. At the end of the day, it's the end user, the consumer, the patient, and their experience with the product, service, technology, or otherwise. What has the reception been with the patients that Glaucos serves and, and gets an opportunity to have their products and services used? The reception have been very overwhelming with patients, although I need to preface by saying patients who are well-educated you know, in terms of what they need and what treatment options are out there. So let me kind of take a step back and explain that. So remember, we talked about the fact that majority of the time we treat the symptoms in front of us. And most doctors are sort of in two camps, right? And most surgeons want to, uh, rightfully so, that's what they're trained to do. They want to do surgery, they want to do corneal transplant or some sort of procedure to better patients' vision. However, that often doesn't fully optimize or resolve the visual problem of the uh, keratoconus patients with the symptoms that we've discussed. Whereas the other camp of eye doctors, such as optometrists, they are typically honing in their skills on buildings, specialty contact lenses. We're not talking about those soft disposable lenses that you see on TV because they don't really work for keratoconus patients. They work for a lot of other people, but not keratoconus patients. And uh, so these two camps, they don't overlap, right? That one wants to, they all want to do what each of them are being trained to do the best. However, while contact lenses may have the best visual outcome, it doesn't really stop a progressive disease. So you see the problem, right? Everybody's doing what they can do, but neither is solving, not going upstream enough to get to the root cause of the problem. So what cross-linking when it first came about Again, research from Europe showed us that, okay, if it's a weakening disease on the cornea, is there anything that we can do to strengthen the cornea? And the interesting thing is, I'll sort of remind everybody, when you go to the dentist, do you remember, let's say you have a dental filling done. Mike, I'm sure you've had that in your life. Do you remember what's the last step of the procedure? I try to not remember any of the steps. <laughs> Except the drill sound, which scares me to death. So. The last step is typically they'll place a light device against or next to the site that they just surgically worked on. And what that light does is basically transform the, the material property of the soft filling material and hardens it. Okay? Why am I saying that? That's what inspired cross-linking. Except we have to do it differently because the nerve endings and the tissue property of your dental tissues are very different from your cornea. So had to figure out a way of how to deliver this cross-linking effect that we already do in other branches of medicine, whether it's, you know, dentistry or whether it's also been used in, uh, say, heart valve surgery to harden an implant. So how do we do that to the eye? So it was thought that photochemically, 
was likely the best method, at least that's what was proposed, which means that we combine UV light and the FDA approval version within US since 2016 is called the KXL light, which has emits a UV wavelength of 365 nanometer. That combined with a riboflavin drops, think of it as a vitamin B yellow drop that we put on the eye. FDA-approved colfotrexa, when that combined with oxygen and combined with the UV light, the three elements interact together and produces the tissue bridges that are necessary to increase the strength of the cornea, thereby maintaining its shape. So what does that do for our keratoconus patients? They, because it's able to slow and halt the progression of the disease, they get to keep you know, the disease from progressing. And so therefore, they're then more free to see if they can go on to get glasses or specialty contact lenses to optimize their vision based on their needs and the staging of the disease. Now, before we go any further, let me just say, of course, no matter how safe a procedure is, it's worth pointing out that, uh, you know, although Eiling procedure has a very good clinical safety profile proven in phase three study and phase four, post-marketing surveillance data, any procedure can be associated with potential risks, such as, you know, post-operative infection, ulcerative keratitis, pain and discomfort during early recovery process, so on and so forth. So even if you are a well-educated patient deciding that you do want to seek care to undergo corneal cross-linking or eye-link, please understand that you still need to be monitored closely by your eye doctors after your treatment. So I do want to just put that out there. But basically, patient can enjoy a chance to stabilize their progressive disease and then figure out what's the best way to optimize their vision. And therefore, the response of patients who know what they need, because they're educated by their eye doctors, that response has been overwhelmingly positive. So exciting. Well, I appreciate you being pragmatic as well and sharing the realities that at the end of the day, these are procedures and they, of course, come with their associated risks. But as you mentioned, that overwhelming sense of, of positivity from the patients, that's, again, as we mentioned earlier, this is why we do this, right? This is exactly why innovators are so committed to healthcare because of that end result with their patients. It's just, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Let's take that crystal ball off the shelf for a moment as well over here. And uh, let's kind of look at a little future state, uh, Clark. Let's talk about, you know, you've obviously given your whole career to this space. You've seen it from that captain's chair, if you will. In regards to where things are heading in the next two to three, three to five years for the space, for the industry, for healthcare, health, wellness, or otherwise, where do you see things heading? And then also, where is Glockos going to be in that future state as well? What is, what's the intersection of the two? So obviously, we haven't been idle since 2016. After the initial FDA approval, and eyeling continues to be the only procedure that uh, is approved for progressive keratoconus. However, you know, I talked about some of the potential risks that I have just named. Why do they come about? Well, they come about because our body is amazing, right? We, our surface tissue, such as skin, basically is a physical barrier for, you know, foreign organism, right? And so we have that on our eye too, or our eyes too. And so in order for the riboflavin or the vitamin B drop that I talked about to be able to penetrate into your cornea where we can strengthen the tissue, we very gently, the protocol requires a very gentle removal of this very thin membrane called epithelium. Think of it as skin layer of the cornea. So in order to get maximal 
amount of saturation of this treatment compound to react with oxygen and the KXL UV light. But, you know, that the epithelium or the skin layer recovers, it's the only part of your cornea that recovers itself or regenerates itself. But initially, that exposure of your nerve ending to the external environment is not going to be terribly comfortable. Although most patients say that it's very tolerable, that's the reason why I do mention pain and discomfort in that early recovery. So our next, we've been working on next generation treatments where we don't, we could try to figure out a compound that permeates through your epithelium easier. And therefore, you know, without the protocol can be carried out without that initial, you know, recovery requirement, which means that patient can get back to their life much quicker and be more comfortable throughout the procedure. And obviously also reduce some of those potential risks that we talked about. That's one. And then we're obviously also already planning over the next three to five years, once we're currently for this next generation number two that I talked about, we're already in our second phase three study. We completed our first phase three, I reviewed it with FDA, got their blessing to say, let's collect more data. Uh, they almost always require two phase three to be done for most of these landmark treatments. So we're well on our way for that. But after that, we're seeing that we could, while I cannot really divulge too much of the research detail, but I could tell you that we're already looking at our 3.0 that I hope that I can come back to uh, talk to you about my in the future. Love it. I absolutely love it. Of course, I love signing up for where are they now episodes. So thank you for setting the stage there as well, Clark. Much appreciated. We'll put the crystal ball back on the shelf for the time being. Maybe we'll pull it out in a later episode. Uh, but for now, let's bring it back to the current state. You know, it's amazing the amount of passion and, and fervor our community, listening community has and their national leaders in and of their own right. What is one problem need or question that you and the team have that this incredible community that's rallied around this podcast can be helping you with? I have two problems, really, Mike, and I, I know that someone out there can help me or can help my, our patients. And that is, I've talked about the fact that the, there's a diagnostic challenge with regard to finding or giving the keratoconus patients a, a timely diagnosis. And, and that's because your cornea is a very thin tissue to start with. It's a clear tissue. It's not easy to diagnose diseases that causes microscopic changes, but yet has very profound visual consequences to our patients. So needless to say, the disease is very underdetected. So no matter how good of a treatment option we could come up at, say, glaucose, it doesn't do us any good or patients any good if they're not being diagnosed in time. So if there's any way that somebody could figure out universally, uh, universally adapted screening device that can go to every single eye clinic, not just in U.S., but hopefully across the world, so that we could deliver timely diagnosis to these patients and reduce their frustration, economic burden, because there are patients who get bounced around eye clinic to eye clinic and they just never could figure out what's wrong with them until the disease progressed to such a severe stage that it becomes much easier to diagnose. So I would love that. Number two would be until we have that screening tool that's effective, that can be adapted universally, which also makes transfer care much easier from clinic to clinic. So it is beneficial in many ways to, for our patients. But until we could get there, we need to also not just educate our eye care providers, but also educate our patients to kind of advocate for themselves. 
So that's what Glockos has tried to do, which is we've recently launched a multi-channel awareness campaign called The Rub. And it's called The Rub because, well, number one, it's designed to raise awareness for signs and symptoms of the keratoconus condition so that patients can decide if they have these symptoms that they want to engage in an open dialogue with their own eye doctors. And the campaign is called The Rub because uh, excessive heavy eye rubbing is actually one of the associations reported in medical literature with regard to onset of keratoconus. And so that's the reason why we're kind of nicknaming it or calling it The Rub. And if anybody wants to visit the website, which I can give a little bit later, the campaign page has more detailed symptoms of what you could look for and, and the tools that you could use to communicate openly with your own eye doctors. And I, I'm proud to say that since its launch earlier this year, we already have more than 41,000 people who have visited the campaign website and more than 1,400 patients and, and still growing have actually engaged to find a, an eye doctor in their network or in their area so that they could further have this open dialogue with their own uh, eye doctors and eye care providers. So I hope that by working together, if anybody could kind of help me figure out how can we better screen the patients, if you have any better way of uh, you know, teaching patients and you know, uh, enhancing education, I would love to hear from you. Well, for both of those opportunities, because they're both very exciting, uh, obviously, I know you'll share the website as well, but where are those contact points online to have those conversations with you and to learn more about the campaign, social media handles, website, websites, or otherwise, uh, how do they get a hold of you, Clark? So you could start by visiting our Glockos website, glockos.com, as well as our the campaign website that I just mentioned, which is at uh, www livingwithkeratoconus.com and we could, you know, give you the spellings to your team. And you could visit the rub campaign that I talked about on Facebook and Instagram. But if you want, if you just need that one-on-one, -on -one, you know, tender loving care from me, you could email me at cchang, that's c-c-h-a-n-g at glaucos.com. You could definitely find me on Instagram and Twitter as well with my name. And so, yeah, I look forward to hearing from people. Easy enough. And for our listening community, just simply scroll on into the episode notes and your favorite podcast player that you're tuning in on this episode for. Just simply scroll down, find those contact points to Dr. Chang and the team, as well as head over to our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. There will be a post for this episode, including all of those contact points and a section where you can leave comments, feedback, or otherwise, again, over at passionatepioneers.com. Well, of course, Clark, it sounds like we've already signed up for a second episode down the road to hear how everything is going of what you described today. But for now, we're going to wind this one down. Before we get out of here, I have a fill in the blank for you. It's I'm a passionate pioneer because uh, I'm a passionate pioneer because I believe that we could I believe we can combat a progressive eye disease and that makes patients feel invisible. And I believe we could save not just their vision, but also elevate their quality of life. Absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you, Clark. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, sharing the journey of how you and the team have come together to help pioneer these efforts, very important ones for the health of many around our country and around the world. So thank you for coming and sharing all of that and more. We appreciate your time here today, Clark. Again, Thank you for being with us today on the episode. Thank you, Mike. I'm signing up for episode 300. <laughs> Thank you so much. 
soon to come. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Clark, thanks again for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.